Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Thank you guys for stopping in with us, and we definitely are excited to have you. We want to tell you how you can plug in with the Housing Hour. You can go to thehousinghour.com, and that is where you're going to find all of the information that we provide out there to you. It's kind of the treasure trove mothership of all information. Um, And you can share this show with your friends and family, colleagues, um, whoever you'd like to share it with. Uh, We'll have the show up just after um, the hour so that you can do that. Um, And also, we're on the uh, social media platforms out there, uh, Facebook. uh, You can go to facebook.com slash thehousinghour. We're also on Twitter as well, of course, at The Housing Hour. And you can go to mortgageinvestorsgroup.com to learn more about MIG, our sponsor, who is celebrating 25 years of American dreams come true. And we're just so thankful for them as our sponsor. So today we have a very interesting guest. We have someone who really has um, done a lot as it relates to our industry, mortgages. And he understands the ins and outs of the rules, the regulations, the training aspect that our loan officers must go through, and really the total package. We have David Luna on the line with us. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for the invitation. This is great. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. And you are the founder of Mortgage Educators um, and Compliance, mortgageeducators.com. And that entity that you um, have founded, really, you you really cover a lot of bases. I was on your website, very user-friendly, by the way. You'll find the link on thehousinghour.com. It is mortgageeducators.com. Um, and there's a whole litany of things that you do, test prep, you do education, you do compliance, you do a lot of things, and we partner with you. But for our listeners and the, the listening audience that's out there, and for those who are listening to the podcast, because we're worldwide, why don't you tell us, take a couple of maybe min- a minute or whatever you need, tell us exactly what you do. Well, thank you for the, wow, that is such a gracious, gracious uh, buildup. I, <laughs> I think my mom would have been so proud of you for saying all of that. Um, I've been in the industry for 34 years, uh, past loan officer, past regulator, uh, and now educator. And as we go around the country, the changes that have occurred because of Dodd-Frank and with the CFPB have just radically changed our industry. And um, the changes are happening almost on a daily basis. Uh, I was reading in USA Today recently where um, uh, one of the uh, the brainchild of the CFPB, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, is now uh, talking to uh, um, uh, the, the young lady that replaced uh, Dr. Ben Bernanke, um, it'll it'll come to me in a second. Uh, Janet Wellen. Janet Wellen. About, yes, thank yeah. you. About the banks and could they withstand um, uh, their potential bankruptcy? There is so much information that is coming to us so quickly. Your show is absolutely timely, timely, and uh, so important. Well, appreciate you saying that. And one of the things that kind of 
create what we created this show for was just that. Really, we're, we're, we hope to educate the public and also other people in our industry because there's a, there's a void that exists out there. And even within companies of loan officers and realtors and just people in general, um, I don't know that companies do a good enough job kind of giving their employees all of the information that is needed. Now, we certainly do the, the education and we do the things that we must do, but it, it's almost left up to your own devices to get the full package. And that's why we partner with you. And you're going to be coming to Knoxville, I know, um, in November, I believe. That's right, November 11th and 12th. Yeah, that's right. You may not have known that, David. Did you know that? I, I I'm, I'm, you know, it is my, my schedule is crazy. I have to catch a flight today to go to Northern California. And then next week I'll be in uh, Hawaii. Uh, the week before I've been poor in, thing. in Utah, the week before that. Oh my goodness. I am all over the country. Well, I think that's fantastic because that's one of the keystones of your company is that we're going to come to you and take our information to you. And then charge you for it on the invoice, certainly. But we're—I'm just kidding. But but that is some people don't offer those type of opportunities. They'll say, "Well, we'll do a webinar or we'll do something like that," because it's very important. And before we dig in, um, because I really like the 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 idea of what you're doing, and and you've put it into place. Why is it so important for you to go and and actually do your classes live? Uh, on um, not to say anything derogatory about any other delivery method, be it online, be it webinar, when it's live, you get to ask your questions. If during the course of the instruction, uh, it prompts a question that you've been begging to ask, how do you do that in an online um, scenario or setting? Uh, why don't you actually ask your colleagues or ask uh, an individual that's been doing this thousands and thousands of times, and let's explore it, and let's find out how does it really benefit me, uh, and whether that me is the realtor, whether that me is the borrower, whether that me is the loan officer. I think it's a win-win-win situation where everybody benefits. Oh, that's well said, and I, I agree totally. And I, I mean, that's why I think it's important for people who are doing their continuing education, which is one of the requirements by federally licensed loan officers, that they take that continuing education. It's best to do it in a live setting because you can absorb the information better. You can talk with your instructor, ask questions that, that you might not otherwise know the answers to unless you're a good Googler, which most people are not. So I think you're you're right, and that's exactly why Mark I know likes you so much. And for people out there <laughs> who are interested in maybe um, learning more about David and what his company does, maybe you're a lender, maybe you're an a, a owner of a company, and you're you know fighting with this whole compliance, continuing education. I would recommend that you um, go look them up and find out more information about it. And also your YouTube channel. Um, is mortgage educators all one word, and uh, you you have quite the following there. Your little commercial that you had had forty eight thousand uh, views on it, so people are obviously interested in what you're doing. Um, in two thousand and eight, I mean, did you have any idea that we would be where we are today as it relates to this whole package of compliance and so forth? Oh, I don't think anybody saw this. Uh, again, I've been doing this since Jimmy Carter was was president. I started when interest rates were at eighteen percent. And I've seen um, these cycles already several times, but exactly to your question, I don't know that anybody saw in 2008 that it was going to turn out the way that it did for so many Americans and the depth uh, of um, 
of how it affected so many people, jobs, communities, uh, families, um, wealth. Uh, no, I, I don't think I don't think anybody could have anticipated the severity of what we went through. Well, 34 years ago, I was at a preschool, <laughs> and I remember it clearly. Um, Jimmy Carter was in office. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying, because if you look at 2008, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and I remember watching CNBC or whatever it was, and if you had turned tuned into it, you would have thought that the world was ending. You would have thought that there was not going to be any resolution to this and you would have thought that that it was Armageddon. I mean, that's kind of what it felt like. And you, and you're in a unique position, David, because you have been a regulator, a commissioner in your state. You've you've seen it from that side of the table. Um, and how how great is that for you when you're talking with people? You have a real well-rounded approach to this, don't you? Uh, unfortunately, I've seen it from the good and the bad side. If that's what we mean by well-rounded. Yeah. We've seen the bad actors, and we've seen just just absolutely stellar individuals. You've seen those that uh, cause some of the major problems, and you've seen those that are actually trying to work toward a solution. And I think it, it it's all of us together and, and the ethics of the industry now to reinstill that desire in folks to get into a home, to uh, you know put down roots in their communities so that the little kids have a swing set or a sandbox in the backyard to play in. I think uh, the days of just thinking about yourself and greed, uh, those days are over. It, you're not going to be able to last if that's, what the, uh, if that's what the thought was. And so unfortunately, as commissioner, we did have to end some folks' career, uh, careers. But um, I, I think it was for the best. I think we grew from, you know, like a phoenix, we grew from those ashes. And I think we are a better, stronger um, business uh, now than uh, than we had before uh, 2008. And David, do you think the uh, national mortgage licensing system, do you think that was a good step forward is to fixing some of the issues in our industry? Uh, the NMLS um, when it was identified in the, in the Dodd-Frank Act, it, it's, it's having, let me, if you, if you allow me like 10 seconds, let me explore that question with you. Okay. I'm seeing not only licensing occur to those mortgage brokers, mortgage bankers, loan officers in the industry, but it excluded the depositories, the banks and the savings and loans. Right. I've got to tell you. Uh, you know, when I was when I, when we were saying, you know, what my history was uh, the week before that in Louisiana, but the week before that, I was actually at, and I don't know that I should mention a company name, but they are a very large bank. Uh, I think if I was to say one of the top two banks, you know, pretty much your audience would understand who I'm talking about. Uh, they are going through the NMLS training. Their loan officers are going through the training. Uh, I was at a credit union in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, I, I'm seeing over and over and over the depository uh, loan officers also having to jump through the NMLS hoops, which I didn't, I haven't seen, you know, in the past, but I'm starting to see more and more of. I think the bar of professionalism is being raised. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. I was talking to a credit union branch manager less than a week ago. I mentioned the CFPB. And the branch manager had no clue who the CFPB was, no. what Dodd-Frank was, 
or that the documents we define today as the good faith estimate, truth and lending and settlement statement were going away next year. He had no clue. Oh, man. Well, that that is definitely a sad, sad state of affairs in some of these companies. And I would hope that, you know, I always used to say, because my dad works at a bank and, and they do go through a very rigorous training session. And I know of other people at banks where they do not. So I've seen both sides of the aisle there. And I definitely, as a lender, uh, would hope that people would recognize that, certainly, that we're federally licensed. We have a higher bar. Um, and, you know, I always tell people jokingly, I say, even your butcher needs a license. <laughs> there you go. There and, you go. And, you know, if your butcher needs a license, your loan officer needs a license. And do you have Absolutely. one? And so I, I agree with that. The, the point of it is, and I think that most people would agree that going through the training and going through the licensing process I think people might have thought, yes, it was painful. Maybe they thought it was a little more than they needed. But I think on the flip side of it now, looking at going through that 20 hours, going through all of the the fingerprinting, the background checks, and all of the credit and all that stuff, you know, on the other side of it now, I think it, for me at least, when I look at our, our roster of Salesforce, I see a, just a well-tuned fighting machine out there that that has the education that knows what they're supposed to do so you think as i do i believe that that it, the, the cream has rise is rise, rising to the top at this point as it relates to professionalism absolutely and who benefits is the consumer that's that right benefits. having a very qualified individual kind of assisting them in the largest transaction that they're going to do um, uh, you know, their home purchase or home mortgage, you're, you are, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. And the, the big thing is that the continuing educational piece is mm -hmm. every year we have to go back into eight hours and David has to tell us any changes coming up and we just continue to learn and improve. Yes, that's right. David wants to make you think laugh and learn something before you have leave he's, class. he's reading that straight from your <laughs> website right. isn't that the point of education well, again i don't think i don't think education has to hurt and yeah. what if you actually did learn something that would make you a, a better professional? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Well, we have David Luna on the line, past commissioner, instructor, loan officer, and we're talking with him about all things mortgage and how it relates to you and your life. And so we're going to continue this conversation in a moment right after these messages. There's one for you, 19 for me. Because I'm the tax man. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. I think we're all waking up. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here with us. This is Kevin Ray with The Housing Hour. Go to housinghour.com, thehousinghour.com. Share this with friends and family. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash The Housing Hour and Twitter at The Housing Hour. We are so thankful to have David Luna with us with Mortgage Educators. And we're going to get back to that conversation in just one moment. Did need to tell you about a company that we very strongly believe in, and that's Prudent Energy Systems. We know that Scott is our advocate, is our energy specialist um, who has done a tremendous job with Mark's house in helping to determine what the exchange rate is um, in his home to see where the leaks are occurring and see how they can save money on his utility bills. And they did that last year. He did the solutions, did the remedies, and now he's reaping the rewards 
of a more balanced home, more air-conditioned home for less money, more efficient water heater. All of those things become more efficient once you plug the leaks. They're doing the same thing with me. They did the audit. We're now looking at the solution, and we're exchanging voicemails, and I'm kind of negotiating with them through voicemails. <laughs> I'm kidding. But we're going to have him out, and we're going to tell you the story once we get ours done. We, we told you about the audit. Now we're getting into the details. So give them a call at 865-200-3647 if you want to learn how you can be more comfortable and save money. Who doesn't want to be more comfortable and save money, Mark? It feels real good when it's done. It feels real good. Scott's his name. He will be back on our show soon and give him a ring. It's Prudent Energy Systems. You can find him on our website, thehousinghour.com. All right. Well, David, we're back in here with you. We um, really appreciate you spending the time with us. Um, definitely uh, having a great conversation. And, you know, we, we were going to talk about CFPB a little bit more. So why don't we go into that a little bit? Because... You know, some people, unfortunately, like you mentioned at that credit union that you went into, they didn't know what the CFPB was. And I think that there is maybe this this wall of kind of um, ignorance. I hate to use that word because I just I, I don't mean to use it negatively, but they're they just have been doing what they've been doing for so long. And there's been no regulation on on their, you know, industry or their specific um, type of company. And there has not been the need to understand these things. But now, with the CFPB, it became a very powerful entity. And now Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was a a Harvard, I believe, law professor or something at Harvard. You're correct. Harvard law professor. You're right. right. And so it it was part of what she helped create. And so why don't you do this? Because I think it would be best you communicate very well. Tell us what happened. Why do we have the CFPB, and what does that mean exactly? Okay, so let's try and take thousands of pages of information and succinctly uh, wrap it up in about you know uh, thirty seconds. Okay. Uh, as we began the conversation in the first part or the first segment, when we had the mortgage meltdown, the credit crisis, the 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 the, the great recession that we were going through. Um, Elizabeth Warren, then at Harvard Law School as a professor, came up with the idea, and I don't know that we should give all the credit to her. I think there's a lot of good people involved, but the creation of the um, uh, Dodd-Frank, which is uh, Senator Christopher Dodd and Congressman Barney Frank of their respective uh, Senate and House, uh, they put together the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. How does it reform Wall Street and how does it protect consumers. Well, this is a massive piece of legislation that created a new sheriff. The new sheriff in the country is the CFPB. Uh, President Obama wanted to have one person be the sole director of the CFPB, and Congress had very serious concerns about that. This is massive, massive, massive power that they thought that it should not all rest with one individual. So the thought on Congress's side is we need to have a group, a committee, uh, some sort of a dispersion of all that power and authority. Well, it took years from 2010 till 2013 before President Obama finally got his director, uh, Mr. Richard Cordray, the past attorney general of the great state of Ohio. Now it was solidified. We have the power. We have the director. We're moving forward. The CFPB is over every product or service that touches a consumer. So checking, savings, uh, payday lender, automobile loans, mortgages, credit cards, it's, a, it's, it's massive. 
That's really a good way to summarize it. And so when they created that huge institution, basically, what that meant was, and I, let me correct me if I'm wrong, but they they are charged with taking what the Dodd-Frank bill says and writing, basically interpreting it and implementing it into day-to-day practical law. Is that right? That's exactly right. When I was when I was um, the regulator, we what we had to do was take statutes that were written by the legislature and create rules. Uh, a statute is the law. A rule is the interpretation of the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 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 a state, you have to keep your records. Well, what's a record? And right. so the rule would define a record. Dodd Frank defined, you know, this is this is what we're going to have to do. And the CFPB is saying this is how we're going to do it. Right. And one of the things that happened back in 2008 was there was um, I can't remember the gentleman's name for the life of me, but he was the attorney general of New York. Cuomo, I believe. Um, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, you, had, you, you, you had Mr. Cuomo mm-hmm. uh, that, that um, was having some problems with appraisals uh, right. and buybacks in, in, I know, in New York who made an arrangement uh, with uh, Fannie and Freddie, which created the HBCC. Right. And okay? that actually occurred before, really. I mean, this was kind of happening in 2006 and seven, wasn't it? You are correct. Yeah. In 2007... Uh, um, on February 28th, 2007, Fannie said, we are not going to buy any more of these subprime loans, and we give the industry six months to get their act together. September 1, 2007, if we're going to be specific, was really when this all started. We just saw the culmination of it in 2008. Mm-hmm. So there were indicators back in October 2006 by Ofeo, the regulator of Fannie and Freddie, that says, we have some serious concerns about the types of mortgage products that are being bought and sold in America today. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, so one of the one of the national stories that started to make make um, headlines was this whole HVCC. And for lenders out there that had the the appraiser, maybe that they knew and they played golf with, and that they sponsored their or their events and and likewise, and you know they could call them and say, "Hey, Bill, this uh, this house uh, is probably worth about sixty thousand dollars more. Don't you agree?" <laughs> and Bill would say. Uh, yes, yes, I know. And I'll see you uh, this Saturday at 8 a.m. for our tea time at C- Cherokee Country Club or whatever. And so right. a- Andrew Cuomo, I suppose, um, saw this, and especially in New York. I mean, look at it. Look at what happened. Look at the appreciation. I mean, it, they took that the comp that the person wanted to buy it for was the best comp to a whole new level. I mean, you could say the how the place was worth a million dollars. It may have sold for 500, but now it's worth a million. And so that was such a huge, I mean, you talk about a shift in the way we do business that really created um, transparency that didn't exist before. Did it not? It absolutely did. And then, you know, after HVCC was sunsetted with uh, the ability of, of loan officers not really being able to speak to the appraiser, it has to go through a neutral mm-hmm. you know, uh, appraisal management company, AMC, and now appraisal independence. Uh, we could argue, was it better for the consumer? Was it not better for the consumer? It obviously did away with the wink and the nod on the you know, uh, golf course yeah. and maybe the extra $100 that was passed from uh, you know, the, the unscrupulous lender to the appraiser that could be bought. Uh, but did it really help 
I, I think history will have to decide that one. Yeah, because I think that, you know, talking about appraisal just for one more second, there was a, a, a problem that existed at the beginning where you had somebody who was appraising a home in Nashville coming from Cookville, which was an hour away, and they didn't and know. How could they even know, right? right. How, if they're not from the area, how could they even know what the values were? Right. And, and and so whether or not that is the right remedy that, you know, like you said, it's worked itself out. They've created ways to try to keep those people within. I mean, VA has been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. They right. wrote the book on this. So we already know it works. And so that's an interesting whole side story to this. And even though it's sunsetted, in other words, HVCC as, as it was written in 07 or whenever it was, currently, I mean, now the reason we do it is because that's what our investor requires. It's not that it's law, correct? Well, you have the appraisal independence, so you still have that more or less arm's length transaction. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you're absolutely right when you talked about the VA model where there's basically a rotation. You don't know who the appraiser is going to be. Right. The VA model has been around for years and years and years. And yes, it does work. Mm-hmm. It does. And one of the problems during that period of time before all this came into change was there was such an appetite for the private back mortgage securities and the GSEs getting involved and that there's so much pressure on every level of the industry from the appraisal to the underwriters. Everybody was putting pressure on the systems to produce. And it's just you're it right. Just, right. I the mean, American was, dream. Everybody, you know, in a home. But is that the right thing? Are there some. Uh, borrowers today that maybe need to work on their credit, maybe need to work on a down payment, maybe need to be at their job a little bit longer before they get into a home. Um, I, I think the thought of you know getting into a home is, is a very uh, noble thought. We need to do it correctly. We need to do it the right way. Now, it, looking back over your, your history, um, whenever the Community Reinvestment Act was passed, I guess in 98, I think, is when we had that under President Bill Clinton. And um, do you recall that legislation? I do. Okay. Um, and that was one of the things that really started the sub, not maybe the subprime, I'm sure, came as a result of that, but it was that alt A. It was, hey, you know what? We want the American dream to come true for not just the wealthy, not just the good credit folks, because maybe they've had bad luck. We need to open up the the floodgates is what it ended up being to more people and, and really deregulate what was working, something that was working pretty well. I would agree. Of not only the CRA of 1977, but yeah. again, other laws changing in 1980 and 1982. Right. Uh, right. Was it, was it Congress's effort to get everybody into a home, the deregulation um, did, did that really happen that far in the past? but we didn't see the result until 2007-2008. Wow, um, you're going to have to speak to people much more intelligent than I. But I, having lived it, having gone through it, um, it was we were sitting on a ticking time bomb. And just to change gears for half a second, uh-huh. those loans that went into effect in those days, I'm seeing coming back now. Uh-huh. The stated income yes. loan is back today. Yeah, it is. And you're right. travel across America... I'm seeing some lenders, not only on the residential, but the commercial side, going stated income again. Credit scores are dropping, and it is a concern. Will history repeat itself? (laughs) Yes, Um, it will repeat itself. Let's let's hope hope we've learned something from this last uh, um, uh, 
you know, from 2007 till now, let's hope we learn some and we don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you mentioned back in the 80s that was uh, Reagan signed in was the uh, private privatization of securities that established the private mortgage security uh, market. And uh, that's still in existence. So that's why you're seeing these um, subprime type of products coming back because they can still securitize them under that uh, act. Right. And I mean, it's just a concern. I mean, hopefully we learn something and that we're not going to make the same mistakes again. And so maybe that's why beginning in 2014, when we have this QM, the ability to repay the 3% rule, fixed interest rates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, hopefully uh, we're going to now create a product, a mortgage loan, going back to the Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform you know, when we when we have a loan that is really a genuine, real, true, documented, verified uh, product, that's how it's going to reform Wall Street. We talked about the last part of that law and Consumer Protection Act, the CFPB. But the first part, you know, where where the industry is now creating a viable, quality, good mortgage-backed security, uh, I, I hope that that will combat. Maybe us going slipping backwards into that, you know, great recession cycle uh, that we uh, had in the past. Well, that's well said. And um, when we get back from after this last break, we're going to go into our last segment here with David Luna. And we're going to talk about the uh, the GSEs and, yeah. and what that looks like now. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of talk um, that we had David Stevens on, I guess, some time ago. Um, that's not the right person, actually. If we're thinking of two different people. But we're going to talk through that because that is where we are, I think. And the next big thing that's going to happen is going to revolve around the GSEs. So we're going to talk to David about that and much more when we come back right here on the Housing Hour. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Kevin Ray here, your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. I want to tell you guys about Admiral Title. Admiral Title has been around now for, wow, almost 10 years, nine years, somewhere in there. They are an incredible company, and they are very efficient uh, closing uh, company that takes care of a lender. Uh, once we get done at a certain point in the transaction, we're going to hand the baton off to a company. And all lenders do this, and it's called a title company. And that title company is responsible for receiving that baton and then taking it to the finish line. And you know, you've seen the Olympics before, that baton gets dropped, people get blamed, people stumble, people fall. And guess what, folks? Gold medals are lost because of that. So why don't you choose someone to take you to the finish line the right way to get you the gold medal that you deserve? They're going to do that, and they've done it for us every year and every moment. We've never seen a problem, and Admiral Title is the reason. So if you're in the market to buy a home cash, you don't need a lender, good for you. Go to Admiral Title. If you need a lender, if you need a title company that's going to work with your lender, go to Admiral Title. If you're a lender or a real estate agent and you need somebody, a trusted professional, then Admiral Title is the company for you. You can reach them at 865-531-6060. I bet you you're going to start using Admiral Title after that, David, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get back Absolutely. in. Absolutely. <laughs> I love title insurance. You got to have it. You do have to have it. That's right. Um, so 
we were talking about all of the things that have changed in our world. And one of the other things that we did not mention, but I think is important to understand because, and I don't, I don't claim to understand all of this as you do by any means, but because I get into the Wikipedia and the Google and I start acting like I know something, but I don't always know something. But if I'm understanding correctly in 1999, when Congress enacted and president Clinton signed into law, the Graham Leach Bliley act, which basically um, uh, undid, if you will, uh, another, uh, the Glass-Steigl Act that prohibited banks from offering like that range of products like the investment, commercial lending, insurance services, and all that, right? Right. That is one of the keystones, I think, because that then brought more people with more of a profit motive and more minds, if you will, into trying to create something. Because, I mean, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were, were doing just fine. They were they were doing okay, and they were doing okay all the way up until 2008. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, before they were taken over the federal government, absolutely, and put into conservatorship. Yeah, the uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act is also known as the Financial Modernization Act of 1999, mm-hmm. and as you succinctly put it, you know they were trying to bring uh, some changes, some modernization. Uh, um, you know, into, you know, uh, here at the beginning of the, of the century. Um, mm-hmm. So because of those changes, I think, you know, we had some of these unintended consequences that you're talking about and the, and the radical changes that occurred to both Fannie and Freddie. Right. I think that's exactly right. And so um, we had uh, Brian Stevens. That's who I was looking for. You know, Brian, I'm sure, um, with the group from National Real Estate Post. Absolutely. Uh, Frank and Brian know them well in Northern California. I called him David a moment ago. But anyway, um, don't tell him I did that. That's the president of the National Mortgage Bankers Association, or he was at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I meant Brian. Maybe he'll he'll take that as a compliment that you confused (laughs) the one with the other. Uh, It's funny. I'll ask him that. Um, But anyway, the the question that we posed to him was, um, I think it was something like, what should they do with Fannie and Freddie, because it was back at that that time, they were, you know, we had Senator Corker that had something that was going to do away with them and this and that. And his point was, this is what he said, can't we just give them a mulligan? <laughs> you know, it goes back to that, you know, uh, uh, golf tournament thing that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's there true. supposed to be some sort of, some sort of an MIG charity classic uh, happening pretty soon. That's right. That's coming up, actually, on September 22nd. It's the MIG Bobby Denton Charity Classic benefiting St. Jude and the Bobby Denton Scholarship Fund. And we would love for you to take part in that. You can go to swingforsaintjude.com. Now, Kevin, did you get your invite? I haven't seen my invite from Mark yet. Did you see your uh, invite? Well, I'm the tournament chair, so I better have an invite. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, but well, you know, it, it, you know, not only Mr. Stevens, but American Bankers Association, uh, uh, the new uh, chair of the regulator hmm. for uh, Fannie and Freddie, um, past representative Mel Watt. This has been a topic of concern with the National Association of Realtors what to do with Fannie and Freddie. Mm-hmm. Um, can we give them a mulligan? Um, did they mess up? Did they mean to mess up? Was it intentional or accidental? Um, interesting. When, um, when Congressman uh, Watt was, uh, was uh, asked to serve as the director of uh, the FHFA, which is over Fannie and Freddie, 
Um, I think he did take a moment to just breathe in and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not going to make any changes. Let's see what I've got here. And I thought to his credit, that was that was a good move to kind of, you know, to, to kind of take a, a half a second and say, okay, what are we going to do? What should we do? And, um, you know, I, I thought it was great for him to not to change the loan limits, to, um, you know, still believe that Fannie and Freddie is a viable uh, product, uh, a viable service uh, mm-hmm. for the product of mortgage loans. But what's going to happen with that? Wow, I may need to ask you. Well, one of what the things. One of the things, um, you know, the TARP money that uh, it was required from the GSEs to bail them out was, I don't know, $116, $117 billion, something like that. But all that's been repaid and uh, at the end of this past year. And, and, and additionally, about $15 billion has been added to the coffer or maybe maybe not that much, but close to it. So. I think most of the investors are wanting to know when it's going to come out of receivership or what's going to be done with it. The money's been paid back. Uh, it, not only has it been paid back, uh, but it's been paid back with interest. And yet yeah. all of it's been paid back. The taxpayer yeah. has been made whole. Yeah. However, it is still under the conservatorship of the federal government. And if we take a half a second to think about it, FHA is controlled by the federal government. VA USDA, mm-hmm. Fannie and Freddie, the, the government owns it all. I don't think that's healthy. I think private enterprise should be allowed to at least compete or at least offer an alternative. Whether that happens anytime soon, we're, we're just going to have to see. Well, now you're talking about health care. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, we don't know. I am not an expert on that one. We're going to have to get someone else. But I do have an employee that was told he would not have to change um, health insurance companies, and that's exactly what he had to do. So but anyway, that's so, a topic for a different day. So you are a Republican. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, the other question that came up, too, because there was a piece written about uh, mortgage, uh, the liquidity factor is what it was called. It was a well-done piece. There was a three-part piece to it, and it was talking about the history of lending. It went through it, through FHA, FNMA, and the SNLs. And it was an incredible kind of history of what happened. And it that, was four parts. By it was the way. four parts. And that piece was written by our very own Mark Griffith. And you can find it at thehousinghour.com. And I'd love for you to post that if you don't mind, Mark, so mm-hmm. that people can see it. Um, it's a four part series. And because I think that there's a lot of people, David, that are out there listening, even right now, driving down Kingston Pike right by the Weigels there, that they have no idea what we're talking about the liquidity of the money that we actually use to purchase a home. So I would, I would encourage people to, even if you think you're the most well-schooled person as it relates to financial things, go to the housing hour and read this history of the liquidity factor is what it's called, because it does a great job of unpacking all of that. And you mentioned a moment ago about, are we going to repeat what, what has happened? Well, I think we've proven, Mark, that we've already done that many times. In yeah, the David, what I did is I took a look at the uh, savings and loan uh, and the debacle there. As you said, you got into the Jimmy Carter years, which was the beginning of the end uh, with the uh, SNLs. Sure. Yeah. So uh, all of that, you know, that history, it, there's a lot of parallels between what happened with the uh, GSEs and what happened to the uh, SNLs. It's just well, interesting I'm just, to me. I'm just hoping history does not repeat itself because honestly, truthfully, I do not want to go through this again. 
I mean, when you think of the millions of homes that were lost in foreclosure, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just hope I just hope that uh, us as human beings can learn from our our mistakes and then just rise above them. But I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if history again will repeat itself. And I I think about the the refinance program that um, was it called Warp. Harp, harp. I'm sorry, harp. Um, and and it had all of these well-intentioned, you know, in, intentions is what it had, and it became such a difficult product. I mean, we're still doing it. People are still doing it, certainly, but it became somewhat of a difficult task when you had so you had banks that could do one thing. They weren't they weren't even federally licensed, but yet they they were able to do one thing and for a borrower. And then a mortgage lender like us, a mortgage banker, we were were not able to do the same thing for the borrower. And what sense does that make? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it doesn't. And, and so I wish, and you know, I don't blame President Obama. I don't blame the Congress. I don't blame our forefathers. <laughs> but for some reason, it's dang difficult to get anything done in Washington that could come out to the Main Street, Tennessee. You know, we have a lot of people who, and I'm not getting political, but we have a lot of people who claim to be for Main Street, but they're for Wall Street. And I think it's very become very difficult. But um, I'd love to hear your opinion, um, David, of what you think should happen with the GSEs. What, what does it look like for you? Do you think, uh, I mean, really just what your, what your feelings is? We won't hold you to this. I've actually been in uh, their offices, both uh, Fannie's and Freddie's. Uh, we did a project uh, with them um, to remove all of the paper for, from a mortgage loan, um, wow, 14 years ago. So and when is I that going to get implemented? With, sorry? When is that going to be implemented? <laughs> uh, that's, that's, I, that, that wasn't that, – I'm not prepared to really talk about that one. I mean, I could have wanted to, me to, but no, we no, actually no. did the absolute first purchase in America uh, with no paper ever. Wow. Uh, there, was no, there wasn't paper that was you know, scanned into an electronic document. There was uh, Paper did not exist in this transaction, and that could be an interesting show for in the future. Absolutely. Um, what do I think is going to happen? Well, there's a couple of different possibilities. One, as a country is split up into different districts, and let's say the, dif- the district where San Francisco and Honolulu are at would be a different district than, let's say, you know, Texas – Uh, The different districts could be the lenders for their particular areas of things going on in their areas, much like, um, you know, the the Tennessee market would be different from the law, you know, from the California market. Um, You you have that district kind of controlling what's going on in that area that's unique to that area. Number two, you could have the Federal Home Loan Bank Board be involved where Fannie and Freddie are not. Uh, Number three, you could help. The, the regional banks, whether they were the large players or the small independents, um, to get a bigger share of these portfolio loans that they're doing now, that they're just holding on and not selling off to the secondary market. There's a lot of different possible solutions, and you have a lot of different players that are you know, rooting for their home team. Right. So you know, the National Association of Realtors has their thoughts, and others have their thoughts. Could the nation survive without a Fannie and a Freddie? Uh, Could, uh, you know, what would it look like? Uh, Are any of these suggestions viable? There's so much noise going on right now that it's really hard to tell whether 
Um, um, you know, we, we did survive for a long period of time without Fanny and then later Freddie, mm. but is it better now? There, there, there's, there's a lot of debate still going on, and I think it's, it's still at, uh, an unanswered question as to if it is replaced, replaced by who or what. Right. Should it just be toned down in that too big to fail a scenario? Was Fanny and Freddie too big to fail? Yeah. But when you look at how much they control um, and how much volume they do on an annual basis, uh, I, I don't know it's, that it's really, really going to be easy to get rid of a Fannie or a Freddie. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, David, actually, and that's a that's very well positioned, and I think that um, you cover a lot of bases right there. And But before the show just ended, I wanted to thank you for spending this hour with us. We really appreciate everything that you talked about. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Thank you. Absolutely. That's David Luna. You're going to find more information about him right on our website, thehousinghour.com. And I hope that all of the people who are, all the interested parties can come together and make a decision based solely upon what's best for the consumer, because that's what's best for everyone. Thank you guys so much for coming into the housing hour. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Adam, our producer. We'll see you next time right here on the housing hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.